Good morning. What a pleasure it is to introduce you today to my friend, Mark Job, lead pastor of Chicago's amazing New Life Community Church. It was 1986 when Mark first gathered 18 people and formed a small church on our city's southwest side. That small band of believers had a simple dream with a boundless scope. They wanted to help people from all walks of life connect with God again and serve in His name the needs of people around them. In 1997, God gave the people of New Life the vision to establish a second worship campus to make it even easier for new people to find their way into the community of faith and play a central role there. Today, over 4,000 people gather weekly at one of 27 worship services held on 15 different campuses throughout the Chicago area. Most exciting of all is the fact that, true to the church's founding spirit, these believers then turn around and offer their gifts and the gospel to the communities they inhabit. And they do that in a staggering multiplicity of servant ministries. Mark and I first met one another several months ago on the leadership team for Greg Laurie's upcoming Harvest Crusade. I fell in love with this guy's relentlessly outreaching heart, and I was very excited when the door opened up for us to exchange pulpits today. I'm not with you this morning because I'm at New Life's Midway Airport campus today, worshiping God with a wonderful branch of his congregation there. I can't talk any longer with you right now for two reasons. First, there's a barber over there waiting to shave my head for the worship service and to attach one of those extremely hip whisker arrangements you'll see shortly. And secondly, you're going to want to have all the time you can get to hear Mark proclaim God's message this morning. You see, that relentlessly outreaching heart of Mark's is in reality simply the heart of God. Will you please join me in welcoming to the pulpit of Christ Church our brother, Pastor Mark Job. Thank you. I can't wait to see Pastor Dan's new look. And I told him, you know, I, I don't typically wear robes, but I, I was trying to get to wear his robe this morning for this service, but I thought it would be a little too long for me. It's really great to be here with you at Christ Church of Oak Brook. I've heard some amazing things about this congregation. I've gotten together with uh, Pastor Dan a couple of times now and uh, love his heart. We've connected over lunch. He's been down to the Midway campus. I've been out here as well. And just uh, we're excited to be able to swap pulpits for the day and to be able to show a sign of unity as we prepare for this uh, outreach event happening the end of September. I discovered that Pastor Dan and I have a couple things in common, but one of the things we have in common is that our children are about the same age. He has three boys. I have a 17-year-old daughter, a 16-year-old son, and an 11-year-old son. And I've tried to tell him, you have an easy job because you have all three boys. I have a girl. <laughs> that changes the whole dynamics. I'm talking to you this morning really about transition. As I think back, one of the biggest transitions that I ever experienced was the transition of uh, the birth of my daughter. 
Now, my wife and I had been married for about six years, fully engaged in ministry, and she had been feeling the craving, the desire, this maternal instinct surging within her to say, I want a child. Every time someone, a baby was born, she kind of teared up and said, I want a baby too. So finally, by God's grace, she got pregnant. The doctors told us that the heartbeat sounded like the heartbeat of a boy. So I spent nine months saying, how you doing, champ? Ready to see you pretty soon. We're going to throw the frisbee, the football around. When the day came where she finally went into the labor pains, I had actually prepared by going down to Apprentice Hospital down at Northwestern. I had taken Lamaze classes. They gave me a t-shirt that said, Coach. I felt that fully prepared me for birth. Boy, was I wrong. When she started having labor pains, she smiled and said, this is not nearly as bad as people say it is. I rubbed her back as I had been taught and smiled. We giggled. She said, oh, let's time the the contractions. About half hour into this, suddenly I was in the other room and I hear a scream, a shrilling scream. I run into the room and I say, honey, are you okay? She said, my back just broke. I said, honey, I don't think you're, it did, she said. Okay, maybe it did. (laughs) We got into the car and she was having back labor pain. By this time, we got into the car to drive downtown Chicago and she was in extreme, extreme pain. My father was driving us, and as we drove down through uh, the Chicago street, she was re- my father was happy to be able to run stoplights, by the way. But as we went down the street, she looked at me in, in, in extreme pain, squeezing my hand, so she left marks on my hand. And she looked at me and she said, Mark, why, why, why is God letting me go through this? Now, the pastor theologian inside of me wanted to say, well, in Genesis chapter (laughs) 1, the woman was cursed to have pain in childbirth, and if it were not for the fall of man, you wouldn't be experiencing it. But I looked into her eyes, and something sobered me up. (laughs) Wisdom got a hold of me, and I said, honey, I, I don't know at all why you're going through this. And that seemed to placate her. Uh... When we finally, after 28 hours of labor and a C-section, when they finally pulled out this baby, I think the baby was going like this all the time, not trying to get out, the, the doctor said, it's a girl. My wife, who was a little bit drugged up by that time, was just kind of halfway in and out. I said, it's a girl. She said, it's a girl. Something changed inside of my heart. At that moment, at that moment in time, the heart of a father was birthed. I would never be the same. Never. I transitioned from one season of life to an absolutely, totally new season of life. I want to talk to you about transitions today. Because I believe that you are either going into a transition, you are living in a transition, or you are about to get out of a transition. 
There is no such thing in life as life staying the same. Life is constantly changing and evolving. The only thing that we can be certain about life is that life is changing. I'd like for you to take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 5. I will begin reading in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. It says, One day, as he was teaching, referring to Jesus, uh, Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. I want to talk to you this morning about what it means to transition seasons and keep the favor of God. And I'm not talking about particularly your own life season as much as I'm talking about the seasons that we may be transitioning in as a church or as a people of God. If you look at this context here, uh, you'll realize that Jesus had been preaching and teaching and ministering for quite some time. Word had spread that Jesus was this man that had the power to do miracles. Uh, Many types of people gathered. Uh, They had the Pharisees who were religious. They had the lame. They had the blind. They had the hurting. He gathered in a house in Capernaum. We don't know exactly whose house it was, but some scholars believe it was Peter's house or Peter's mother-in-law's house. As the living room filled up, it overflowed to the outskirts of the house. A crowd gathered in that place. Some were cynics. Some were full of doubt. Some were there to criticize. Some needed healing. Some were curious. Some were religious and judgmental, but they had gathered around because they knew that something unique, special, powerful surrounded this man, Jesus. The Bible tells us that it's an interesting phrase it uses in verse 17. It says, And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to jot this down. I'm talking about When we change seasons, transition season, it requires, first of all, people that discern the times and know when to take action. Now, Jesus had power to heal all the time. Uh, He was the Messiah, the Son of God, the second person of the triune God head. Uh, But it's interesting that in this passage it says, that the power of the Lord was there to heal the sick. And just about that time that the power of the Lord, in a special manifest way, was there to heal the sick, miles away, in some other village, in some other town, someone suddenly, intuitively, had an idea. 
Now, I believe in the connection of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that when God wants to do something, that he uh, pushes people internally to do something. And someone miles away had an idea, and a person said, hey, what about our friend who's paralyzed? Maybe we should take our paralyzed friend, and we should walk him all the way to this place where this man named Jesus is, because maybe Jesus could heal this person. Now, it's no coincidence that the power of Jesus was there to heal and that miles away someone had the idea that maybe this was the time to take action. I call it the seasons of God. Now, now God can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. But as you examine history, you'll realize that there are times in history where revival strikes a nation. The Great Awakening happened here throughout the Methodist movement, the Great Awakening in Wales. If God wants to bring revival or spiritual awakening, sometimes it's his season. Sometimes there's been great mighty harvests where thousands and tens upon thousands of people have come to Christ in droves because it's a season of harvest. There's been other seasons of conviction where God works in mighty ways to convict people. It's God's season, it's his time it's his way, and the people of God do not determine the seasons of God, but it is our responsibility to be sensitive to what God is doing. I think even in our own nation, uh, years ago in the 70s, 60s, uh, there was what people called the hippie movement. I know some of you here lived through that. Your hair is a little bit shorter than it was in those days, and you don't like people to pull out those photos. But during the uh, hippie movement, there was this revolution, and young people sort of went wild, and anti-establishment, and it was peace and love and sexual revolution, and uh, hard rock and roll, and uh, all-night parties, but in the middle of all that transition, there was also an openness to spiritual things, an unprecedented openness among young people. In fact, during the Jesus Revolution, there was also what people called the Jesus Movement, and literally tens of thousands of young people came to Christ during that season of time, and those that were willing to recognize the seasons opened up their church doors and led thousands of people to Christ at that time because they saw that this was the season of God. I believe that as people of God, as pastors and church leaders, and as congregations, that we need to be asking ourselves, what is God doing at this time, and how can we cooperate? I happen to pastor in the city of Chicago. And oftentimes in the city of Chicago, uh, people ask me, uh, don't you get discouraged because right now the city of Chicago is going through a crime wave. This past weekend, there were 17 people that were shot. Uh, we have more violence in the city of Chicago than percentage-wise than New York City has than Los Angeles has, Dallas, any major city. Chicago leads it. We have a pastor on staff in one of our locations, our little village location, that actually uh, texts 
our pastoral team, we have 18 pastors on staff. And if there's a shooting in his community, what he does is they have a rapid response team and tries to show up on site at that community, sometimes even before the police show up. And they pray for people. And he'll text our entire pastoral team and he'll say, someone's been shot on 28th and Karlov. Not sure if it's one of our boys, but pray for them. We're on the scene praying for the family, ministering to the family. And what I've discovered is that although Chicago is a violent city and going through violence right now, that there is opportunity and there is a season while others look at the darkness of the city, some look at the city and say in the middle of this darkness there's an opportunity for the light of God to shine and the church to show up and be a light in the midst of that darkness. There's a season. Uh, we have recently uh, been awarded or given uh, 100 of the city's, well, some people would call them the worst high school kids in the city. I like to call them the young people with the greatest potential to improve. Uh, we've been working in some of our communities, and I think as Pastor Dan mentioned to you, we're in uh, 15 different neighborhoods in Chicago, and some of them are in some really, really rough neighborhoods. Uh, we're in young professional communities like Lincoln Park, uh, just north of DePaul University or Lakeview, but we're also in neighborhoods like Humboldt Park, West Humboldt Park, or like neighborhoods like Little Village. And... Uh, we have, uh, a couple years ago, uh, we started a program connected with the uh, probation department and the, working with the judges, where 35 gang-involved young men, usually because of a weapon violation, are required to drop into our church building three times a week. That will boost church attendance. They're required to drop there because we have mentors. We have men, mentors, that take them under their wings, spend time with them, our liaison with their families, take them out to eat, speak into their lives. And many of those, several of those young people have actually come to Christ, gotten baptized, started to turn their life around. And the city of Chicago has seen what we're doing with these young people and has actually said, hey, if you're doing this with these young people, we'd like to give you some more young people. So we've just hired staff this past week in order to be able to mentor those young people. I'm telling you this because I believe in the midst of every season, God provides divine opportunities. Secondly, not only must we be a people that discerns the times and know when to take action, secondly, we need to be people that work together to meet a need that's greater than ourselves. I want you to notice in verse 18, not only was it time, a time to heal, but it tells us that then some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat. Now, you don't see it in Luke chapter 5, but in Mark chapter 2, it tells us that there were literally four men. 
I want you to notice that these men had to come up with the idea. Someone, you know, there's usually their creative, innovative person. Then there's the early adapters. Then there's the slow adapters. And then there's the non-adapters. I imagine that one of these men came up with the crazy idea, why don't we take this paralyzed friend who's been paralyzed for a long time, carry him for miles, take him to the presence of Jesus. Maybe Jesus will see him. Maybe he will heal him. The early adapter said, well, that's not a bad idea. Maybe we can do that. The slow adapter said, I don't know. He's kind of heavy. What if we don't see Jesus? We don't really want to get all of his expectations up. The non-adapter, there's always, you've ever watched Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore? There's always an Eeyore in the crowd. We're never going to make it. He'll never see him. It's not going to happen. But finally, four men get together. They start carrying this paralyzed individual who's been paralyzed for a long time, it seems. And the idea is these men took their eyes off their own needs. They looked to a cause that was greater than themselves, and they thought to themselves, if we together, in partnership, work together for something that's bigger than us, maybe we can make a difference. Notice that they took this uh, man, and they traveled, and they came all the way to the house where Jesus was. I believe the same, same is true of the churches in Chicagoland. Christ Church of Oakbrook has a vision, has a mission, has been doing it since 1965. Uh, this church started its first services the year after I was born. I was one year old. And it's had an incredible testimony and grown and impact and size over the years, not only in Oakbrook, in Hinsdale, and these surrounding communities. But let me tell you, the impact of Christ Church of Oakbrook is not limited to its surrounding communities. Uh, just like New Life Community Church is not limited to its surrounding communities. We are connected to a bigger work that God is doing. It's the kingdom of God. And when churches throughout a city or churches throughout a region begin to pray together, cooperate together, resource together, envision what God can do together, incredible things begin to happen when we raise our eyes and look to a cause that's much bigger than us. I have to admit that Although I've pastored in Chicago for many years, I didn't always like Chicago. I grew up in, in Europe. My parents were church planting missionaries, and when I was six months old, they uh, went to Costa Rica, then they went to Chile, and my father rode horseback to these small villages where he would teach Bible studies in places where you could not get there by car. And after a few years... Uh, they felt like the gospel had exploded in Chile and they wanted to go to a more pioneer area. And the final frontier of the Spanish-speaking world was Spain. So when I was six years old, my parents moved to Spain. They moved there 
when Spain was still under the uh, dictatorship of a fellow by the name of Francisco Franco, who was buddies with Hitler and Mussolini, and he was a fascist dictator that ran the country of Spain for 40 years. My father was taken into the secret police on numerous times and interrogated. We were viewed as a cult. Uh, The only place that would rent to us was a horse stable. And so my earliest recollections of church was meeting in a whitewashed horse stable where we celebrated our services. Our windows were broken. They tried to burn the building down. But nonetheless, God began to raise up a work in that place. Uh, Some people were kicked out of their homes when they came to Christ. Others were ostracized from their family when they came to Christ. But God rose a work, a, a work in those days, and now, as a result of that work, churches have planted in numerous parts of Spain. When I was 17, I moved from that setting to come to the city of Chicago to go to school. Now, I was in culture shock. You have to understand that I lived in a town of 200 people. I had to jump over sheep dung to get to school. I went to a one-room schoolhouse. I still remember my telephone number, eight. (laughs) Seriously. The local switchboard operator also served as a waitress in the bar near, near the uh, expressway. So sometimes we'd have to drive over there to say, hey, could you please plug us in so we can make a telephone call? I went from that setting, little house on the prairie type school with 30 kids and one teacher, to moving to downtown Chicago. And I was in shock. I missed the roaming hills of Spain. I'm not a tree hugger, but to be honest with you, the first time I went down to the water tower place and saw a few trees, I wanted to hug them. I couldn't stand Chicago. I didn't like the noise. I didn't like the congestion. I didn't like the anonymity of the people. I didn't like the, uh, the, the sky ride. I didn't like anything about Chicago, and I couldn't wait to get out of the city. While I was waiting to get out of the city to finish school, a pastor challenged me. And he said, Mark, do you realize that the nations of the world have come to the large cities? That there are people from Africa, Europe, we have the largest Polish community in Chicago of any place outside of Warsaw. There's a large Puerto Rican community, South American, there are Irish from the old country and German and Swiss and, and uh, uh, Jewish people. We have, the nations have come to the city and if you can reach the city, you can impact the nations. I I couldn't shake that from me. And I found myself at the age of 21 accepting to pastor a church in the southwest side of Chicago in Back of the Yards neighborhood. Anybody familiar with Back of the Yards neighborhood, southwest side of Chicago? Uh, You could still smell the smell of the slaughterhouses on hot days in Back of the Yards. Sinclair wrote a book called The Jungle about that area. 
And I found myself at the age of 21 beginning to pastor a group of 18 people that met on the corner of 44th and Polina. And I, I, they were so desperate, they asked me to be their pastor. And I was so naive, I said yes. <laughs> but I want to tell you something, that God did something amazing. God gave me a heart for this city. And I believe that wherever God calls you, he's going to give you the love for where he calls you to be. And now I love Chicago. I love Chicagoland. I love the smells of the street. I love the skyscrapers. I love uh, Lake Michigan. I love uh, Al's Beef on Taylor Street and Mario's Eye. I love the communities, the people, the diversity, and I have a passion and a vision to see people come to Christ in that city. When we open up our eyes and decide to work together, a, Chicago, a city like Chicago of nine and a half million people will not be reached by one church. It will, it will be reached by a movement of God, of people that get serious about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that cooperate together, that raise their eyes to a vision and say it's not just about our own lives, it's about living for something that's much bigger than us. That's what these four men understood. They understood that they needed to unite their forces to do something bigger than themselves. I want you to the third point. If you're taking notes, write this down. If we're moving through transition the way that God wants us to move, we need to be people that persist in carrying others to the presence of Jesus. I love the story of these men because when these men finally arrived at this house, they were met with obstacles. They arrived at this house and they could not get in. The religious Pharisees were there probably saying, hey, get in line, don't push me. Maybe the lame and the blind were there. But I love their persistence that they decided that even though it would be difficult to get in the front door, they would be creative to try to figure out some way for it to happen. I look at so many churches that look on the mission field of Chicago and they say, well, it's hard and people aren't very religious and people don't, they're not like they used to be. And so they give up. They lose hope. They feel like our destiny's already written, that things are going to go from bad to worse, that nothing can turn around. And I believe that people that have the gospel of Jesus in their soul and operate with faith do not give up easily. They find creative, ingenious ways of working around and still bringing people to Christ. Uh, probably the innovator decided again, hey, what about the roof? And here's what happened. The Bible says that these men, these four men, carried this paralyzed man to the roof of the house. Now Jesus is speaking, and while he's speaking, suddenly a little plaster starts falling from the ceiling. A little hay. If it was Peter's house, Peter's wife is saying, oh no. As he's speaking, then suddenly a hand pops through the roof. And the head pops through and says, yeah, we're in the right place, right in front of Jesus. I mean, we sanitize these stories, but think about it. It takes a while to make a hole in the roof. It's messy. And finally, 
And if you've ever spoken while there's a distraction, you know that no one was listening to Jesus anymore. Everybody was looking at the ceiling. I spoke in a high school one time gathering where a bird got loose in a gym. Forget about it. Everybody was staring at the bird. I spoke in a church one time that we had just remodeled, and right in front of the stage, a pipe broke in the ceiling, and water just gushed out. We almost did some impromptu baptisms right there. <laughs> the water's there. So Jesus is speaking, a hole is being created in the roof. A, now a foot starts appearing through the roof, and now they're saying, watch it, don't drop them. They're lowering this man. Everybody's watching. There's a mess there. Peter's wife is having a fit and said, I know we shouldn't have had this meeting in this place. They get out of control. And they're bringing him right in front of Jesus. And I love the response of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, you made a mess. You distracted the service. You interrupted my teaching." This incredible passion of Jesus, he looks at the men, the four heads that are up in the hole, the paralyzed man, and he says to them, friends. Don't you love it? Not, hey, you, but friends. Listen to what he says. They lowered him, his mat, through the tiles in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. I love that. I love that these people believe so strongly in the presence of Jesus. Listen, I want you to know something. We live at a season, a time, where there are many people that will not go to church because they are paralyzed by depression, paralyzed by fear, paralyzed by doubt, paralyzed by cynicism, paralyzed by a bigoted attitude towards the church. They'll never make it on their own. They'll never walk through the doors of Christ Church of Oak Brook on their own. It won't be a radio advertisement or the sign they see on the, on the street in front. The only way they'll ever come to the presence of Jesus Christ is if people like you and I care enough and believe enough that the gospel of Jesus Christ can truly transform people, that we help bring them to the presence of Christ because we believe if only they can experience the presence of Christ, then they truly can experience the touch of the master and be transformed. I believe that God is looking for that kind of faith. And lastly, I close with this. This kind of transition requires people that combine their faith to believe for changes that require a touch of God. Jesus said when he saw their faith. Ah, it's interesting because in the Greek that's in the plural. Not when he saw his faith. When he saw the corporate faith of people believing together. Listen, I've seen literally Thousands of people come to Christ. I've prayed with, I've prayed with Bebaugh, 
who was an enforcer for the outlaws and used to live behind metal-plated doors and carry out the dirty work of the gang there. Now he comes to church with his wife, led them to Christ, and married them. I prayed with Roger, who was a drug dealer. Nice house, nice car, drug dealer for eight years. When he came to Christ, he said, I'm leaving my drugs, flushing them down the toilet. I got a problem, though. I don't have any skills. I had to learn how to find a job. I've prayed with CEOs that their marriages are falling apart. And here's what I know, that the gospel of Jesus Christ works the same in Oak Brook, Hinsdale, Barrington, as it does in Little Village, Humboldt Park, or any place in Chicago, because the heart of men and women are the same ultimately. We need a Savior that has power to transform our lives. My challenge to us today is we have a window of opportunity, a great window of opportunity to see many people come to Christ. This is the season. Now is the time. This is the opportunity. All it requires is people that truly believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the same today yesterday, and forever. And they're willing to extend their arms and help those who cannot come on their own make it to the presence of Jesus. Today there may be some of you that are here this morning that have never given your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Listen, if I were here and I didn't know Jesus and had not bowed my knee and repented and come to the cross of Jesus, I would have an urgency in my soul to do it. There's a difference between attending a church and sympathizing with the gospel and being a follower of Jesus Christ. And today, maybe after service, you may need to talk with someone and pray with someone because maybe God is calling you to take the step from simply being religious to being an authentic, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. God bless you.